it's interesting watching those kids be here. I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, I'm reminded of some things that were important to me when I was their age. And one of the things that was important to me when I was their age really has not worked out into my adulthood the way I thought it would. Um, I'll just be honest with you. There are not nearly as many car chases as I thought there would be. When I was a little boy, I loved TV shows like The Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider and these other ones. And almost every show that I knew as a third grader, fourth grader, fifth grader, the stuff, you know, this is before cable and all that. You just turned to one of the three channels, especially on Friday nights and on Sunday nights. There were these shows on. And almost every show that I enjoyed and that I was kind of able to follow along with, almost every show had a great car or a great vehicle or a great truck. Right? And I can remember arguing with my friends whether, whether I'd rather have that orange Dodge. Today I wouldn't want an orange Dodge. <laughs> Quite the same way I thought it'd be cool then. I, I know what it feels like to sit in a vehicle from the 1960s. It's not as exciting as it once was. But do I want that orange Dodge called the General Lee or, or would I want that black Trans Am called Kit? Or would I want the red and black GMC van that the A-Team rode around in? Or do I want the brown pickup that Colt Seaver drove? And if there are some of you from earlier ages, you know Starsky and Hutch's vehicles. There you go, John. And, and some of you guys, you know, there are all these shows and movies and, and stories. And as I was a boy, I was just absolutely wrapped up with driving things because I couldn't yet. And I was so excited for the days that I could and that I could like be one of those heroes, kind of like what I saw on TV. But you know, I have never had to get in front of a bus full of kids careening down a hill because their brakes lines have been cut. I haven't had to do that. I haven't ever had to say to Melanie, Melanie, take the wheel because I need to jump from the Explorer to that vehicle. That guy passed out while he was driving. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm ready. Less ready than I used to be, but I'm ready. There was something about me as a little guy that just saw those, those heroic exploits and said, I want to be like that. I want that kind of, well, that kind of power, right? Now today there's Marvel movies and all kinds of different stories that frankly don't speak to me quite the same way that those stories spoke to me when I was a little boy. But the reality is, I am still on a quest for power. That may sound like a weird thing to say because we hear a lot of people in our world say that. I think they mean something different than what I'm intending to say. I am on a quest for power. Not power over you or anyone else or power for myself, but I want the kind of power that Christ shows over and over and over in the gospel. I want the kind of power that Christ says he gave to the church. I want the kind of power that says, no matter what evil comes against me, I can stand. And I want the kind of power in my heart that says, even if that evil coming against me takes my life, I'm fine with that. That's the kind of power I want to have. And I hope that we as a church can plant in these little ones, whatever hero stories they might be excited about, I hope that we can plant in them this idea that God has power, that he's not only reserved for himself. His is the glory and the majesty. But God shares his power with people. He gives us agency 
to do things on this earth that God wants to have accomplished. That's what I want to talk about with you today, this thing called power. Now, last week, we saw some of this on display as I preached to you out of Matthew chapter 5. In the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 5, we talked about and we read about how Jesus got out of the boat and he saw this man who was living among the tombs. No one could chain him anymore. He had so much physical power. And Jesus went and spoke to him and and the demons who were inhabiting this man's body forced the the body to kneel down in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, don't cast us out. And, And eventually... Jesus said, no, I'm going to cast you out. What is your name? Our name is Legion, they said, because we are many. And so it says in Mark chapter 5, verses 11, 12, and 13, that Jesus cast out a legion of demons from this man. It says the demons went into a herd of about 2,000 pigs. And in Mark 5, 13, it says that these impure spirits, quote, came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. We talked about that last week. Some of you have thought about it this past week. It's interesting how many questions I got afterward. Some of that was because we had a fellowship meal afterward, and so I was in the lobby for a while, and people were hanging out, and we had plenty of time to talk. Nobody was rushing home to do anything. But some of it was because this is a fascinating kind of a passage, Right? Those of you who are following along, those of you who are studying, you realize there's some interesting stuff in here. And one of the questions that I got, well, actually one was an observation. Someone said to me, and I'm going to give you an interesting little piece of homework perhaps. Someone said to me that they had heard a sermon just a few days, maybe a few weeks earlier. And that preacher suggested, or rather reminded, that pigs can swim. How many of you know that pigs can swim? Did you know? A couple of you do. I didn't. I was not aware of that. I'm not a pig guy. I mean, they're delicious, but I don't pay attention. I don't pay attention to whether they can swim or not. But they can. Looked it up. Pigs are actually pretty decent swimmers. And so, so what one person told me in the lobby last week that I thought was fascinating. This herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs, likely could have swam. Why didn't they? Because it says that the pigs were drowned. Now, perhaps the power of the demons drown those pigs because demons love to make a mess. The other preacher that this person was trying to remember the details from, the other preacher suggested that those pigs drown themselves because they'd rather be dead than filled with 2,000 demons. I thought that was interesting. There's some homework for you. What's the answer? Don't know. Go study it. You have Bibles. By the way, I try not to have that attitude too often when I'm preaching. (laughs) Go study it. You have Bibles. But frankly, it's quite true. And it's your responsibility as much as mine to be studying these things. So I thought that was interesting. Pigs can swim. Someone else asked me and said, well, those demons, they were cast into the pigs and the pigs drowned. And so the demons were probably not staying inside of those dead bodies. Where did all the demons go? What, What happened to them? And the person that was asking me this question, they were aware of some of their demonology. They knew a little bit about where demons come from. Demons really are fallen angels, right? And angels are created. God made all the angels, not in the same way or fashion or at the same time, but God made all of us humans. God made angels too. And God made these angels, and and angels, it seems, are eternal beings. That means they're going to last forever, 
That's why there is an eternal place of punishment called hell that is prepared for them, which we read about in the Bible. Someone asked, where where are those 2,000 demons now, those legion of demons? Where did they go? Well, in Luke 11, there's an interesting little passage. We will get to Mark 5 in a bit. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said to a group of people, he said, when an impure spirit like legion comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. In other words, you cast a demon out of a person, Jesus says that demon has to leave. They go through arid places, dry places, places where there perhaps is not a host, places in the spiritual realm where evil is present and still powerful perhaps. But Jesus says an impure spirit comes out of a person, goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it comes back, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. In other words, there's a person here who has been delivered from whatever kind of possession was happening to them, but they did not keep their guard up. Sometimes that happens to us, right? When we finally get over whatever we were dealing with, we go back into the same habits that made us sick in the first place. But when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. They go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That's Luke 11, 24 through 26. Interesting. And so someone asked, where are those demons now? What do you think? Some of you got to talk about that perhaps in your small groups this week. These are fabulous questions to think about, aren't they? I enjoy it. Are those 2,000 demons that were in legion and then that drowned the pigs, are they in arid places in the spiritual realm? Are they possessing other people? I wonder sometimes about all of those in our current world who inhabit the institutions. We know that in, in many situations, there is both a physical and a spiritual component when someone has some kind of a manifestation of an illness. Sometimes it's just physical. The allergies are out there. It's making my nose run. That's not necessarily a demon. But there might be a demon that says, you know what? I'm really going to jump onto that. And instead of making their nose run, I'm going to make them miserable as their nose runs. That might happen. And there are some things that happen that, that seem to be strictly spiritual. I mean, Jesus was talking to Legion here and he cast out all these demons and Legion was suddenly better in his right mind and listening to Jesus. This is what the scripture tells us. I suspect, though, that there are often both physical and spiritual components to our illness. In other words, take your medicine, but also pray. And I just wonder how many people in our world today are taking their medicine but have forgotten to pray. I wonder how many of us are taking our medicine, but we are forgetting that perhaps there is a spiritual component to whatever it is that we're going through. Do you pray enough about whatever sickness you deal with? Whatever, whatever kind of bugs you, tortures you, seems to stick with you. Have you been praying enough? Perhaps you haven't been paying attention to the spiritual realm. Where are all those demons? I don't know. I don't, I don't exactly know. I think it's interesting, though, that they are probably in the people who are around us. People perhaps in institutions, perhaps people who are living in the streets, perhaps people who are distressed, depressed, and anxious, and who can't seem to get over it, no matter what kind of medication they take. Is there a possibility that we've been ignoring the spiritual reality? See, it's not a slam to say that there's a demon present. It's not a, it's not a spiritual indictment to say, well, maybe you're being attacked by Satan. That's not an attack on you from me. That's simply a recognition that 
there is such a thing as a spiritual realm. We need to keep our antenna up. And I think a lot of people have not kept their antenna up. We've just said, well, that doesn't happen anymore. And then what happens? We struggle with it forever because we never address the problem. Jesus was good at addressing the problem. And now finally we get to Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Remember now, Jesus has just cast all these demons with a word, mind you. He just cast all these demons out of the one who was called Legion at one time. He had crossed over the lake, but now we see in Mark 5, 21, Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. So he's back kind of on his home side of the lake. And when he got there, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders. So notice this story that we're about to get into is all about the family of a Jewish man who is leading a synagogue. We know that there are many people, many Jewish authorities and scribes and, and, and people of kind of the particular hierarchy of the Jewish religious class who, who rejected Jesus. This one did not. This synagogue leader named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. There are other times where Jesus delays. Jesus waits a little bit. Jesus says, not yet or not now. Here, Jesus went with him right away. What happened? A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Have you ever been in a large crowd that felt just a little bit on the edge of being scary? Like some of you know this, right? Like this feels a little too close. It feels a little too, maybe it was like at a big ball game or a concert. Maybe it was just somewhere where everybody was trying to get to the same place at the same time. But sometimes it happens when you're in your car. You've got plenty of physical space, but you feel like this is just a lot going on. Imagine this. Just, just think about what's happening here. Jesus is in that kind of a crowd. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. Why? Why would they have followed him? Well, they've been watching what he's doing. They're fascinated by what is happening. And now they're hearing, wait, what's Jesus going? There's a little girl that's sick. Let's go see. Or you can imagine the excitement, right? The buzz. So a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. Verse 25, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Men, perhaps this is not something that we would like very quickly identify with. Ladies, can you imagine being subject to bleeding for 12 years? This is not a little thing. This is not just a minor annoyance in life 2,000 years ago or today. This is a big deal. This woman subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal. Why? Because she couldn't afford the doctors? No, she was under the care of many doctors. You see what the scripture says in verse 26. And she had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Any of you been to a doctor? spent all your money, used up all of your coverage, and they say, there's nothing we can do for you. And you say, but I still feel it. In fact, I'm getting worse. We can identify. We can identify. All right, put yourself in her sandals. So when she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, we don't know exactly what gave her that idea. There's, there's nothing in Scripture to this point in Mark that would have said, well, if you just touch Jesus, you'll get better. But she had this faith. She had this belief. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Here's this woman 
suffering with bleeding for 12 years, many doctors. Now she's poor because she spent everything she had on medicine. She's feeling some desperation. She's coming to Jesus and says, well, if I just touch him, she's in this crowd. And can you imagine trying to get through the crowd? Some of you have tried to get through those crowds. You know how difficult that is when people are pressing around. And yet she is not deterred. She decides that she's going to do this. She follows through and does it and just touches his cloak her bleeding stopped. At once, verse 30, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Jesus didn't even try to do this. Jesus didn't even have to pause and look at her and say anything or make something in the mud and put it on her body. He didn't have to. Jesus, fully attentive in going to Jairus's daughter, she just touches his cloak and she is healed of this terrible situation that all the doctors couldn't fix. Does that kind of healing still exist today? I'm going to let you hang on that one for a little bit. Jesus said, who touched my clothes? Was it because he really didn't know? Well, there's more happening here. Look what verse 31 says. His disciples said, you see the people crowding around you, yet you ask who touched me? In other words, everybody's touching you. Maybe there were other people in that crowd that were healed that were just never written about. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool to learn. You know, someday in heaven, when we're all sitting around campfires and the Lord stops by, I can say, hey, Jesus, how many did you heal that day? We'll have to find out then. We don't know right now, but we know that one was healed, this woman. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, verse 32. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus looked around. She came forward. She fessed up, said, yeah, it was me. And he said, great, be blessed. Do any of you know that kind of an experience with Jesus? Have any of you ever come to Jesus with some issue in your life and you bowed down before him and you just, if I could just get a little closer to Jesus and you did, you reached out for him and he healed you? Have you been healed of anything? And not just things like issues of bleeding, not just that broken leg that's waggling over here. I'm talking about things in your heart, things in your mind, things in your relationships, things in your family that are not right. Have you asked for God's healing and received it? I know some of you have. This is why we have testimonies up here on so many Sunday mornings, because these stories are out there. We can't forget them. But her faith healed her. Jesus said, go in peace, be freed from your suffering. And he did this without any attention on the lady beforehand. He did it while he was on his way somewhere else. He did it without trying. That's power. I want that. I, I, I would love to be able to live, wouldn't you? Just giving out God's blessings. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. But remember, Jesus was on a mission. Do you remember the first mission? The leader of the synagogue, Jairus, came to him. Verse 35, we pick back up. Mark writes that while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why do you bother the teacher anymore? In the course of a few moments here, the message went from, Jesus, I need you. From the time that that the guy left home until the time now that Jesus is on his way to his home, his daughter has died. People say, don't bother the teacher anymore. You, you, You could be you could be wasting his time, right? Isn't that the implication? Have any of you ever had that little, that little voice whispering in your ear that says, don't bother God anymore? Let me tell you, that is not the voice of the Lord or of the Holy Spirit. That's not the voice of Jesus saying, don't bother God. God has plenty of attention. 
God has plenty of power. Was Jesus bothered that this lady came and touched his coat and got better? No, he wasn't bothered. But these people came to Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is watching all this, right? Jesus is overhearing. Jesus is eavesdropping. Be careful how you apply that knowledge. Doesn't let you become a jerk. Doesn't let you be nosy. But it's interesting that Jesus was hearing all this. Why? Because the crowd is close. And these people made their way through the crowd. They talked to Jairus. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Peter is the one who is the source for all of Mark's information. This is how we know that this even happened. Jesus didn't let anybody follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus, who now kind of has gotten away from the first crowd, sees a second crowd. He saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, which would happen if any of us were to be in the presence of a family who just now lost a young daughter. Jesus went in, verse 39, and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And look at verse 40. Have you ever noticed this one before? I never noticed this verse until I was studying. I've read this story many times. I've heard it preached to me. I just, just must have had blank spots in my memory. They laughed at him. They laughed at him. Now, granted, it may sound humorous that Jesus would say, well, well, she's not dead, she's just asleep. It's the kind of thing that a three-year-old might say if, if they don't get it and they show up at a funeral. Why are they sleeping in that big box? Right? These are the kind of things that you might expect from a small child who just doesn't get it. Here's Jesus. He says the child's just sleeping. They laughed at him. I'll bet if the woman who touched his cloak just a few minutes ago heard him say it. She wouldn't have laughed. I bet she'd have said, let's wait and see. I wonder what Jairus did. I, I mean, this is the people of the household. This is the ones who are making a commotion. I wonder if Jairus, the one who had just been told, don't be afraid, just believe. I, I, I have a hard time thinking that he was one of the laughers, but some people laughed at him. After Jesus put them all out, Jesus said, all right, you laughers, get lost, right? Get, get, there's too much. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, so he took Jairus and Jairus' wife. And the disciples who were with him, who were they? We just read about it, right? Peter, James, and John. So five, six, seven of them went into where the child was. Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Want to prove that she's alive? Give her something to eat. Here is Jesus. He's been traveling. A couple minutes ago, he healed a lady without even trying, but got to talk to her for a minute. Now he's here at Jairus' home. And Jairus and Jairus' wife and a couple of disciples and Jesus, they see this girl who everyone thought was dead. She had been sick. Jairus knew this. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. And now she's alive, not only alive, but she's taking nourishment. 
I am fascinated with that kind of power. I am so thankful that I serve a Lord who has that kind of power. I am so grateful that I serve a Jesus who is that powerful. But I'll tell you, it messes with my head sometimes when Jesus doesn't show that power in all the situations where I think it ought to be shown. One of the real challenges with a passage like this is we can say, well, if Jesus can heal that woman who was bleeding for 12 years and he didn't even try it, if Jesus can walk in and, and raise his 12, I mean, 12-year-olds don't just die. There must have been something really wrong with this body, and yet Jesus brought her back with just a touch of the hand. If Jesus can do that, he can do anything. But we serve a God who can do anything but doesn't do everything. This is a heartbreaker sometimes for us because our perspective would say, why not heal? Why not fix? Why not restore right now? Because we know that God can. And yet, not always is God's answer yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says not yet. And these are the times that we really have to ask, do we want power for ourselves? Or do we want to see power so that God gets glory? Do we want to be able to harness, enjoy, observe, and celebrate God's power so that life goes well for us? What is our real motivation? Or, or do we really want to see God's power? Do we want to see these, these manifestations of God's incredible abilities? Do we want to see that so that God is given glory? Big questions to ask, aren't they? Sometimes in our brokenness, we have a hard time sorting these things out. But these are the questions that we ask. In the book of Acts, there is story after story after story of God's power being worked out through what we're told are just regular men and women. In the very beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples... He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus at this point was getting ready to ascend and go back up into heaven. He wasn't going to be on earth with his disciples anymore, right? He had been crucified, dead, and buried. He was resurrected from the grave. He walked around for a while with his people. Hundreds of people saw him. And now he's getting ready to go back up into heaven where he is today. And Jesus says, though, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus says to those disciples who were present then, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you'll get this power when the Holy Spirit comes. Have you been, have you been asking for the Holy Spirit to be in your life, or do you just want power? See, power doesn't come without God. What do you want the most? This is what I have to ask myself, and, and too often the answer is the wrong answer. What do I want the most? Do I want God or do I just want the products of what God can do? In Acts chapter 6, there's a story of a man named Stephen. Stephen, we're told in Acts 6, 8, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. Stephen performed great wonders and signs among the people. Do you know what happened to Stephen? He was protected and saved and he's still living today because he was doing such important work that God kept him at it for these 2,000 years. What did I tell the kids today? Jesse, that's not in the Bible. No, what happened to Stephen? In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says 
or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 7, it says people were so aggravated with what Stephen was doing. This man who was full of God's grace and power, they were so aggravated with him that they stoned him. That means they picked up stones and threw stones at him until he died. That's what stoning is. This happened to Stephen. It says in Acts 7, verse 59, while the people were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so while they were throwing rocks at him, he said, Jesus, take my spirit. In other words, I'm ready to die. And as he was dying, he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He forgave those who were killing him for doing what? For being full of God's grace and power and telling them about Jesus. And it says in Acts 7, verse 60, when he said this, he fell asleep. And I wonder how many moments it was after that until Jesus, like the little girl who was asleep, until Jesus reached down in the spiritual realm, picked up his hand and said, Stephen, come with me. It says in Acts chapter 8 that on that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Wait, these are the people who have received God's Holy Spirit. These are people who are full of God's power. They should be bulletproof. They should be jumping from cars and the general, he's got nothing on them. They're just flying around, fixing everything. They're full of God's Spirit, right? Doesn't it seem like that's the kind of thing they ought to be able to do? No, what happened? A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. See, God's power does not make us these kind of superhuman giants that can just walk around now doing our will because we've got God's power. Sometimes along with power comes great persecution, but we have to remember what is the power for? It's not just for us to do the things that we think are right. The power is to bring glory to God, and sometimes glory comes to God through death and suffering and persecution. Acts 8 verse 1 says that on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except those apostles, so all except for about a dozen people, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say? He said that they would go out into the world and take the message of Jesus. Where? To Judea and Samaria. This is how they got there. God's persecution, or the persecution that God allowed drove them out to bring God's message to these people. Isn't this fun? How this Bible stuff ties together here? Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but then more persecution rose up. It says in Acts 8 verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But they had God's power. They have the Holy Spirit upon them. Shouldn't they be able to just have a quick little fist fight? Tie the guy up for the cops to come. And then we'll move on and save the next poor soul who can't help themselves. As we watched an episode of The Night Rider the other night, Terrible show. I mean, just from like a quality standpoint, you know, but it's kind of interesting just to remember the things of the past. At the beginning, at the beginning of Knight Rider, do you guys remember, some of you remember the narration, Richard Basehart said, Knight Rider, a shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless in a world of criminals who operate above the law. Doesn't it seem like if we were really filled with the Holy Spirit, we'd be able to do that kind of thing too? Just show up and fix it. I can help you. You've got an issue? Here we are. But Robert, you've got a problem? All right, let's fix it right now. Hey, sometimes these things happen, right? 
I've seen people be healed of things. I've seen people be delivered of things. But it doesn't very often happen as easily as that. We have these ideas of what heroes ought to be. We have these ideas of, of just constant victory that we ought to see here in the physical realm. But sometimes things that are happening in the physical realm are, are, are kind of out of whack with what we would see because we're seeing with our eyes and not with God's. But here Paul, Saul, is going from house to house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. But you know what happened? See, God's will worked out anyway because it says in Acts chapter let me make sure I get my reference right. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that those who have been scattered, they just preached the word wherever they went. Saul put them in prison, they preached the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. You know what would have happened if, if Philip would have been able to not have to leave Jerusalem? Well, Samaria probably wouldn't have been fixed. And yet the persecution and the suffering and the death that happened to Stephen was the seed of allowing Philip to be here preaching to these people in Samaria. Power comes from God, folks, and we have access to it because we've been given power through Jesus' authority, but we don't have power for whatever we think looks right. We have power that we can put into practice if we are aligned with God's view, God's perspective, and God's will. But so many times we get wrapped up in our own. So many times, even our compassion leads us to places where we say, I want to fix this. And God says, no, my glory is going to come through this suffering. Have any of you dealt with suffering and seen God work through it? How many of you, how many of you can tell that story? How many of you can tell that story of just terrible pain? And yet you look back and say, I can give God, I can give God glory. So many things we want to fix don't need to be fixed. And so we get, we get our ideas of power and authority all twisted around. I want to close with a little story this morning. This story is kind of, kind of fresh. Um, I was studying. I have a, have some stuff here in my notes about about authority. You know, at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, Jesus told his disciples, "He said, all authority has been given to me." You can look up in Colossians chapter two how Jesus has authority over all spirits, and and um, Jesus has authority and, and gave it to his people. He said, I want you to go out and make disciples and baptize people. We're going to be having a baptism service here on May 22nd. Okay, so if there are any of you who are thinking about being baptized and you want to be baptized on May 22nd, talk to me. For those of you who are in membership classes, talk to me. We're going to do it on May 22nd. We may have another baptism service after that because we already have nine people that are ready to get baptized. Jesus has authority, told us to go out and make disciples and baptize people and teach people to obey him. But let me get real practical with you for a few minutes, moments here at the end of this sermon. Um, this morning, we got here for worship team practice about 8.15. Between 8.15 and 8.30, people showed up, and, and uh, I am not going to call anyone out for any particular situation, but it was a hard morning of practice. We had like a battery. These guitars that are up here that are plugged in just to be able to get through, they, they have batteries in them just to be able to plug in. And, and there was one that 
thought the battery was good, but the battery was bad. And then one of the, one of the connections here is not working. And so we were hearing things in the sound system. And, and this was like weird stuff, right? This wasn't like, oh, this happened. Some, it was weird, weird kind of stuff. And, and we were singing and we're practicing these songs and getting ready to lead you all in worship today. And nothing that we were trying, and we've got some super sharp people up here. This isn't just a rookie crew today. And trying this and adjusting that and swapping out this instrument for that one. And, and there's still some stuff that needs to be sorted out this week. What happened? Don't know. Don't know, right? There's these glitches. Before every Sunday morning worship service, and usually before Sunday school, somewhere around 9 o'clock, 9.15, our worship team, after they're done practicing, meets back here in the office, and we pray. We pray that God gives us power to do whatever God wants us to do, that God blesses our time together in worship so that he is given honor, and that God just helps us to be as good as we can be. Today, as we gathered, we had to remember what this whole sermon was going to be. What, what's this whole sermon been about today? It's been about God's power, right? You know who doesn't like sermons about God's power? The evil one who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. We talked about all the songs that we sang. Did you notice the songs about power? Power in the name of Jesus. You know, it's just really interesting how hard Satan works sometimes to try to steal our attention, to try to distract us from the things that are going on around us. Sometimes Satan tries to, to get us to focus on the, the really close stuff, and, and we get frustrated, and we get worked up, and then that takes away all the influence that we have for the really big stuff. And so this morning, here's what we did. As we prayed back there, we just remembered the truth of God's promises, if you're wondering today, how do you have power in the Lord? I've got six things for you. You can write these down if you want to. I'll send them out in an email later this week so that you can remember it. There's a pen up here somewhere. I'm going to circle this so that I remember to send it out to you. Six things for you. This is what we did. And, and frankly, I'll tell you that I, I feel like we were set free. First of all, we remember the truth of God's promises. God says, never will I leave you or forsake you. And God says all through Scripture that he will give us everything that we need to do everything he wants us to do. We feel like we've been called to lead you in worship. And so we remember the truth of God's promises. To, to kind of get that, that father of lies, the devil, to, to cast him away. Don't believe those lies. We remember the truth of God's promises. God is with us. We remember that we have an enemy and that we are at war. If there's a problem up here, I mean, maybe there's something that we need to do about it, but certainly we need to pray. It's not just a technical problem. If it's in church, it's rarely just a technical issue. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. So we remember God's truth, and we remember that we have an enemy and that we are at war. Today we are waging war, remembering that we have power to stand up against the evil one. We ask God to forgive our sins. God, if there is anything foul among us that we've brought in, Lord, forgive us. That's number three. Remember the truth of God's promises. Remember that we have an enemy. Ask God to forgive our sins. Sometimes we create our own bad situations. So we ask God to forgive our sins. Number four, we invite the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and lives again. You might say, well, I did that seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. Keep inviting. Holy Spirit, come in. Fill us afresh. Fill me again. 
So we remember the truth of God's promises. We remember that we have an enemy, that we are at war. We ask God to forgive our sins. We invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. We recommit ourselves to God's mission. Okay, God, we remember what we're here to do. We are forgiven. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember that we're on a mission. We are here to help lead people in worship. We're not doing this so that just so that the music sounds nice. We're not doing this because somebody just loves to play their instrument. We're not doing this because we just can't help it. No, we love to do this because we know that we are called to do this. We recommit ourselves, God, to your mission for your glory. And then you know what the number six thing is? We keep going. We keep going. Armed with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and and the belt of truth and the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, we press on because we can stand against all this stuff. We can keep, we don't have to be taken out. We don't have to be knocked down. And if we get knocked down, we get back up again. This is how we so often see God's power at work in us because we press on by the power of the Spirit for God's purposes and not just by our own perspective. It's amazing. It's amazing the power that Jesus has and, and the power that he so often grants his people. But, but don't get out of whack because, because our perspective can lead us to all kinds of wrong conclusions about God's love for us. and Why isn't God showing up? Has God forgotten me? Have I disqualified myself? Have I done something to take myself out of God's grace? Well, I guess those are questions that we should ask from time to time to make sure that we're on the right track. But don't assume that just because things are bad, it's because you're bad. Sometimes God just has a different perspective than we do. And sometimes God says, I'm going to use your suffering. I'm going to use persecution. I'm going to use Stephen being stoned so that all of Samaria can celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our God. This is our God. So church, I invite you to remember the truth of God's promises. Remember that one of God's promises is not comfort on this earth, right? Remember what God's promises are and are not. Remember God's promises. Remember that we have an enemy and that we are at war. Ask God to forgive your sins constantly. We invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. We recommit ourselves to God's mission, and we press on. We press on. So I'm going to invite that same worship team that's been praying all morning to come forward. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to close with a song today. I think you'll find it appropriate. Think about the words that you're singing. The, the tune, it's a good tune. It sounds nice, but, but we chose this song because of what we will say while we sing it. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. Lord God, we desire your power. Lord, help us now, even for those of us, Lord, who feel weak. Help us. Help us to have eyes to see things the way that you see them. Help us to understand your truth the way that it really is. And help us not to get bogged down in our own perspectives, but Lord, help us to see what is real. And Lord, then please... Please fill us with your power so we can give you glory and give you honor. And Lord, if that means suffering for us, please give us strength. If that means pain for us, please give us endurance. Lord, if that means sacrifice for us, I pray that you would draw us close to you and help us to remember that it's not all about what we feel, but it's about who you are. And Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's been spoken in error today, that you would wash it away. Lord, send your power upon our hearts and our minds so that we can know who you are and know what is true. We pray through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Congregation, will you stand and sing with us this same power? I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. This the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us. He lives in us. We have hope that His promises are true. In His strength, there is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us, lives in us. Greater is he that is living in me. He conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand here in victory. Greater is he that is living in me. He's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand here in victory. Oh, in victory. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to reign, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us, he lives in us. 
He lives in us, lives in us. So we're going to wrap up today with this word from Ephesians chapter 3. Here was Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is my prayer for all of us today. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Now go in God's power. Go in God's power. Let's get together next time and talk about what happens. We will see you. Be blessed.